We might be one minute earlier, but we'll, we'll start anyhow and sing together the opening praise, 286. A great gospel hymn, Would You Be Free From Your Burden of Sin? There's Power in the Blood. Would You or Evil of Victory Win? There's Wonderful Power in the Blood. We usually change the chorus on verses 3 and 4 so that you don't forget I have it typed up there for you. So just watch verses 3 and 4 in the chorus when we come to sing. Thank you. <coughs> Let's stand to sing. Let's have good singing. thank you sincerely for remembering Elias in prayer. Some of you that have known of Elias being in hospital 
you've been praying these days, and that's very much appreciated by the family. And we're glad to be able to say tonight that there is improvement today and some of the specifics that we needed to happen for the recovery of the child have begun to happen. So we say to God be the glory. We're also asking you to remember Ada, young Ada Hegarty. Uh, Ada had an episode late last night in the early hours of the morning. Uh, it was a choking episode and that led to a distressing situation and she ended up overnight in A&E as well. But we're glad to be able to report that again the Lord looked after this situation and the child is improving. So we're going to pray together and seek the Lord at the throne of heavenly grace. Our Father, it is with joy and victory that we come into your house and into your presence now to be able to sing about the blood of the Lamb. It's a joy to think about what the Savior did when he came to the earth to die and to take our place, to stand in our stead as our substitute, the sacrifice for sin. In my place, condemned, he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. We say hallelujah. What a Savior. And for many in this church building tonight and many others that are listening in, we can say that we've been to Jesus for the cleansing power and we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. And that blood will never lose its power. The blood that has cleansed us, the blood that has taken our sins away, washed us, is still as powerful today as ever it was. Lord, will we come to stand in heaven <coughs> around the throne of God and the Lamb. We're going to join the great choir of glory and those that are there right now of whom the Bible speaks. And we're going to sing about the blood of the Lamb. We're going to sing about our Redeemer and what he came to do. Unto him who hath loved us and washed us from sin, unto him be the glory forever. Amen. And this song that we sing on earth about the blood of the Savior is a song that we will sing forever in thanksgiving and worship before the throne of grace. Lord, bless our coming together tonight into this building. We come to seek the Lord. We come principally to meet with Thee. We come, Lord, rejoicing that we have an audience with the King and that the Lord is here in the center of this gathering as He's promised to be. Grant to us a conscious sense of that nearness. Let us know beyond all shadow of a doubt that God is here and that to bless us with the Spirit's quickening power. Remember those that are absent from us tonight, ministering elsewhere. We think of our, some of our students that are preaching elsewhere. We think of the Word of Truth ministering uh, tonight, along with our brother Peter. Lord, we pray that their ministry will be a real blessing and an encouragement. Thank you for the gifts that you've given to all of your people. Some you've given the gift of song and music. Some you've given the gift of witness and testimony. Some you've given a real gift of prayer, the prayer warriors of the church, and we praise you for those that know what it is to lay hold upon God and to wrestle with thee. 
and so many other aspects within the body of Christ, Lord, you have placed us, as the Scripture reminds us, just where you want us to be. And we pray that we'll function well and that we'll serve the great head of the church well and that we'll see blessing in these days in which we live. Thank thee for souls saved recently. We've been rejoicing in those who have trusted in Christ. We pray that you will build them and us up in our holy faith and help us to be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. So continue with us tonight. Be one of our number. Accept of our thanks for your touch upon Elias and for the preservation with Ada. And we pray for these little ones that are connected to our congregation that you will keep your gracious hand upon them and bless them and protect them every day. And for those among us who know not the Savior, speak to them especially. May this be the night of their conversion when they seek Christ. We ask in his name. Amen. The hymn 319. Far away the noise of strife upon my ear is falling. Then I know the sins of earth beset on every hand. Doubt and fear and things of earth in vain to me are calling. None of these shall move me from Beulah land. Thank God we're living in the mountain underneath the cloudless sky. Let's rise to sing.
Good to see all who've come. When I heard the word of truth were away and some others were away, uh, I was wondering how tonight would go. Well, there's a good number here and you're visiting with us and we have a few visitors. Always delighted to see you. We bid you welcome in the Lord's great name. Roy Campbell, how are you? You're feeling all right? Somebody told me you had a birthday today. We usually mention significant ones. I'm not going to tell you what age he is today, but yesterday he was 69. All right? So you can work it out for yourself. Roy, congratulations from the church. And uh, you reached the three score years and ten. But the Lord bless you and give you more years to your life in his pleasure. Refreshments will be served tonight after the service. Stay with us. Have a cup of tea, something to eat. There's also a time of prayer immediately after this service and it's for the youth challenge not just the workers but anyone who wants to join us for prayer in the church hall we're going to remember the youth challenge this is really the first uh, good opportunity to be together in prayer as we think of the children's work that has recommenced this year we're asking you to pray for the trip to Romania six days from Tuesday the 14th to Monday the 20th of February Robert McCauley, Jamie and Kyle Connor, Keziah Owens, and the Reverend John Gray and myself. And the will of God will be in Romania during those days. And it's quite a full program. We'll try to remember to send it out in the WhatsApp group and to remember us in prayer each day where we are. Tuesday night is Youth Challenge, 6.30, half an hour earlier, because it is a, a bring a friend night for the children and a pizza night, so they're going to get something to eat before the meeting. <coughs> Can I thank those that, that are going to be involved in that? Some of you will be cooking the, the meal and getting the arrangements made for uh, the pizzas, so thank you in anticipation of your work, and we trust that the children will have a great meeting on Tuesday. Thursday is the midweek at 8 o'clock, and our clerk of session, Mr. Phil Moffat, will be here to take charge of the meeting, break the bread of life, and lead in prayer. Friday is Youth Fellowship. Keep an eye on the WhatsApp group, and you'll, you'll get all the details of what's happening this Friday night. Saturday morning, the open air in the center of the town at 11, and as was said, <coughs> in recent days, we're so encouraged by the number that have been coming just to stand there at the open air in a public testimony for Christ and the preaching of the word that goes forward. People do come at times and listen. Sometimes they sit in a car. Sometimes they stand and listen. And any who pass by, they get a little bit of the word. And we're glad that we're ha- we have this faithful ministry uh, twice a month. Next Lord's Day, the prayer meeting is at 8 o'clock. We encourage you to get to that prayer meeting. Sunday school is at 10.30. The Bible class at a quarter to 11. Bourbon's doing lessons from Leviticus the views of Christ and types and shadows. And he comes to the third message, which is the meal offering. Christ's sacrifice was flawless. At the worship service at 12 noon, David McCauley, one of our students, will be here to preach the word. And at the gospel meeting at 7, the will of God, Mervyn, one of our elders, will be here to preach And the time of prayer, 6.30. We're thinking about the recommencement of our little ones, 
This is, as I said this morning, the first one after lockdown. So looking forward to it. It's Monday week, tomorrow week, the 20th of February. And this little advert has now been shared on our Facebook. We want you to share it on, cut it, paste it, send it out, Facebook, WhatsApp, whatever way you can, especially to parents that have little ones that are preschool age. It's been a good witness. It has been the means of seeing people brought to Christ. We have had those whose first contact with the church here was at the parents and toddlers as it was, and they've eventually come to the church and they've been converted to Christ. We're mentioning uh, the next family night because we're, we're going to give emphasis to family nights this year. David Johnson, who testified briefly at the remembrance service last November, over 20 years, a reserve officer in the Royal Irish Rangers, now the Royal Irish Regiment, and did a tour of Iraq in 2004, is coming to testify. He's going to tell us how the Lord saved him and, well, his experiences too, even the Lord's protection in a time of dangerous service in Iraq. We look forward to that. We will have invitations specially printed. They're on their way. They're, they've been sent out and they should be delivered within the next few days. But I want to preach when I come back on the 26th of February at the worship service at 12 noon on the subject, One Bring One. And as we've been telling you, uh, this idea is for you. You're the, the first one to bring another one. And we're going to see how biblically that is right. And those who are involved in this very thing in the scriptures from disciples to the Savior himself. So I know that the Lord will challenge our hearts. He's challenged my heart by way of preparation. And I know that whenever my heart is challenged, that the congregation will be challenged as well. And we trust that this will be a year of great things in the Lord's work in this house. Just to mention again that Greg, who's with us tonight, he has been officially appointed as by the session to represent the home mission. Uh, we're looking forward to Greg getting a little bit more involved with us here uh, in the coming days, so pray for him. We had special prayer this morning for Yura, or Yuri, and he's going back to Ukraine on Wednesday. He was able to visit with his wife for about three weeks and his two little children. He's a volunteer on the front line, and we do remember him before the Lord uh, doing this dangerous work going in and, and helping people that are in danger. And of course, the family are involved in the ministry of the word and preaching the gospel. So remember him, please, as he travels. We had this time of prayer with our elders and the elders from Ukraine today. These are all the announcements, always subject to God's will. We sing together 597. Who, who are these beside the chilly wave? just on the borders of this silent grave, shouting Jesus' power to save, washed in the blood of the Lamb. And we can just imagine in our minds sweeping through the gates of the new Jerusalem, praise God, we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. The only reason why we'll be in heaven is the blood of the Lamb. And we're singing about this tonight. Let's rise and sing. 
and that's the note you start on. Uh, right here is the division. If you're on the right, your left, my right, we want you to sing this verse. Word of truth not here, but many choir members are here, so you'll do well. Let's sing it out the best you can. These, these are they who in their youthful days. sing the last time you have a go and you folks just remain silent. Thank you. Turning in the Word of God to Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17, <clears throat> and reading the second half of the chapter almost, maybe a little more verses, but from verse 15 through to verse 32. Acts 17, verse 15. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens. And receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, 
His spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him And some said, what will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, (coughs) because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Aeropagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is? For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their lifetime in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. But as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face, on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. But as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. In the times of this ignorance God winked at, But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men cleave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius the Europagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. We finish there at verse 34 at the end of the chapter. May God be pleased to bless his word to your heart for Jesus' sake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank thee for your word. 
the power of it, the quickness and the sharpness of, of which the Bible speaks of itself, sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you that this word is forever settled in heaven. We can't add to it. We can't take away from it. We can't change and alter it. Lord, we praise thee for the word you've given from cover to cover in this book that we have in our hands tonight. And we pray as we preach your word, as we think about what's happening here in this chapter and the great sermon that Paul preached as he stood that day before the men and women of Athens. Lord, speak afresh. You spoke to people on that day and there were some converts. Lord, speak to people tonight. And may there be some converts too. Fill me with the Holy Spirit of God and help me, Lord, to bring this message now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. A number of years ago, when my wife and I celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary, we had the privilege of going to Greece and visiting the city of Athens and standing on this very hill called Mars Hill. And what we've read tonight is Paul's sermon that he preached all those years ago on Mars Hill. The great apostle preached to the men of Athens who were steeped in superstition. They didn't know or acknowledge God, but they, they worshipped false gods. They had even erected an altar to the unknown God, just in case they had left some deity out. They put up this altar to the God that's not known. It is sad to think that in Athens, a place that was supposed to have had a monopoly on wisdom, that the true God was an unknown God. This city had become the center of literature, learning, science, and art, and yet they failed to know who God was. Paul had one object in view, and that was to turn the Athenians from idolatry Unto the living God. On arrival at this vast city, he observed a city that was wholly given to idolatry. In fact, according to heathen writers, there were more idols in the city of Athens than in the rest of Greece put together. Paul's spirit was stirred in him. He was concerned for the glory of God and burdened for the souls of men which were enslaved to Satan by idolatry. He went into the synagogues of the Jews and present, <clears throat> presented Christ, the true Messiah, the Savior of man. He also entered into conversation with everyone that he met with at the marketplace. And that meant not only the Jews, but the Gentile world as well. And he brought them the message of the gospel. And now he's standing on Mars Hill, and out of love and concern for the souls of men, he proclaimed the word of God, and he did so with power and great conviction. He said in verse 23, As I passed by and beheld your devotions, I find an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. And so he begins to reveal to these people, who the true God was, the living God, whom they did not know and ignorantly worshipped. 
He presents him as the sovereign creator, the omnipotent, and the infinite one. Look at verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. He uplifts him as the originator of life and the giver of life. Look at the end of verse 25. He giveth to all life and breath and all things. And also in verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. He shows him in his near presence and his omnipresence in verse 27 that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. This is God that's everywhere. Not far from anyone but right beside. He declares him as a God who is real and actual not some man-made idol Look there at verse 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. He saw all these idols in the city, idols that were made of gold and silver and they were graven by art and man's device. But you're not to think about God in that way, says the apostle. Then as he brings his message to a conclusion, he issues a solemn call to repentance in the light of the great and the dreadful day of judgment. And this is where we come to our text tonight in verse 30 and 31. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. It was a strong gospel invitation to be saved. In order to be saved in this life and safe in the life to come, they must repent of their sin. And as you read the few verses that follow the sermon, you will see that the message that he preached, especially when he came to the resurrection, was received in a threefold way. Look at those verses there, 32 to 34. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. Paul departed in verse 33, but verse 34 says, How be it certain men cleave unto him and believed. And individuals are mentioned. Dionysius, the Eurypagite, a woman named Demaris, and then there were a few others as well who came to trust in the Lord. So we have the mockers. They mock the message. We have the neglectors. And they put it off. We'll hear you again some other time, but not now. And then we have this third response, the believers who came to put their faith and trust in Christ. Paul's message is up to date. For the Word of God and the need of man 
has not changed. Men still need to repent and turn from sin to Jesus Christ so that they might be saved and ready for the life to come. And so I want to preach Paul's message tonight, this message of repentance, this great call to repentance. And I know, as I preach tonight, like every other time the gospel is preached, there's always going to be a variety of responses. And they can usually be summarized in the threefold way that the people of Athens responded to Paul's preaching. There will be the mockers. Yes, sitting in church, coming to our meetings, coming to our missions, as the gospel is proclaimed, there will always be a section of those who gather and they will just mock the word of God. They don't have a lot of interest in it. And then there will be, and maybe this is the greater proportion of the unconverted these days who attend our meetings, there will be the neglectors. And they will put it off, and they will keep putting it off and off and off. But it's always our prayer that there will be this third group, and there will be some who will come to believe. Will you pray to that end tonight, dear child of God, just where you're sitting? Will you pray that God will stir some heart here in this meeting? Maybe somebody listening in on the internet and bring them to be a believer in Jesus Christ. As we approach this subject, the great call to repentance, I want you to notice, first of all, the necessity. And the necessity is summarized in the, the two little words there at the end of verse 30, to repent. God's message has never changed, not one bit. In order for a man to be right with God and ready for heaven, he must turn away from sin. Sin has separated man from God. Sin has placed man under the just wrath and condemnation of the Almighty. Sin has opened hell and shut heaven to man, and therefore sin must be repented of. Here is the message of the Bible summarized. We'll see in a little moment or two that the two great pillars of the gospel, because I'm going to mention the, the verse, are repentance and faith. But here is the message summarized even in this one word, repentance. Because true evangelical repentance means that you not only turn from your sin, but you turn to God in repentance. And that means that you exercise faith and you trust in Him. So this is the message of the Bible summarized. It was the message of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Back in Jeremiah, he was troubled greatly for the sins of his people and the nation. And in Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 12, we read these words. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, this is the message that Jeremiah was to proclaim, Return, thy backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and will not keep anger forever. Jeremiah the prophet was dealing with a backslidden nation. He was dealing with the people who had departed from God. What was the message that he was to bring? Here's the wrath of God hovering over, looming over these people. What was the message that Jeremiah was to bring? It was a message of repentance. Return, 
Because that's what repentance is. It's returning to God. It's turning away from sin unto God. And that's what Israel was to do in the time of Jeremiah. The prophet Jonah was to bring the same message when he was commanded by the Lord to go to the great city of Nineveh and bring the gospel message to them and and call them to turn from their wickedness. He, He refused at the start, but he eventually, after God sent the storm and his experience in the fish's belly, he went and obeyed the Lord and he preached the message that God had given to him. And we read in the 8th verse of chapter 3, But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God and let them turn every one from his evil way. That's repentance. When a man turns from his evil way, and Jonah brought this message, John the Baptist One of the first prophets in the New Testament, he preached the message of repentance. Matthew chapter 3 and the opening verses tell us, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Even before Christ comes on the scene, here's the forerunner, John the Baptist, and he's preaching that message that the Old Testament prophets preached. Repentance. Peter preached this message, talking this morning about what God did in the day of Pentecost and the many conversions that took place. I'm thinking about the message now that was preached on the second occasion when 5,000 people were converted to Christ after the incident with the lame man who was raised to walk again. Peter had the opportunity to preach to the people And in verse 19 of Acts chapter 3, he says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. The message of Peter in these days of the Holy Ghost hadn't changed at all. Do you see that now? Repentance. Christ preached repentance. Luke chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus cried, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And now here, Paul, quite a few years later, standing on Mars Hill, calling out to the people of Athens, is proclaiming the same message of repentance, that these people must turn from their sin. You know there is true repentance unto eternal life. And there is a false repentance which does not lead to life. So what is repentance? Well, first of all, we should say to you what repentance is not. Repentance is not fear. Many a man has feared, but he's never been converted. He's never repented truly of his sin. Felix had one of the greatest preachers standing before him, the same man that's preaching on Mars Hill, the Apostle Paul. And he preached a three-point sermon to him. And the Bible says when he heard the message that Paul preached, Felix trembled. He shook. He was afraid. But he never got converted. He never repented of his sin. So repentance is not fear. Repentance is not conviction. There are many people again who have been convicted about their sin. But they've never repented. I think of the the scribes and the Pharisees that we read about 
in the eighth chapter of the Gospel of John and verse 9. They were convicted by their own conscience. They went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even on to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. You know the story, don't you? They take to Christ this woman that is, they say was taken in adultery. They begin to quote the scriptures, what the law of God said concerning what should happen to this woman. Moses' law says she should be stoned. Jesus didn't give an answer, didn't speak a word. Began to write in the floor of the temple, in the dust on the floor. Not told what he wrote, but he wrote anyhow. Maybe he was writing down the law that they were quoting. Maybe he was writing down some of the other commandments of which they were guilty. But there he is writing on the floor of the temple. Now, they, they brought this woman. They, they didn't really care about the law. They didn't really care about this woman. They just came, the Bible says, to tempt Christ, to, to find fault in him. And the Lord writes on the ground. And then he does say, He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. And then he stoops down and he, he writes a little bit more. He that is without sin. Was the Lord writing on the ground their sins, the things that they were guilty of? Maybe he was. Because the word of God tells us that these people were convicted. Being convicted by their own conscience. Maybe as they read what the Lord had written there, their own sin was exposed. And they were immediately convicted. And out they went, one by one, until there was nobody there. But the woman standing before Christ. But those scribes did not repent. They did not come to be saved. So repentance is not fear. Repentance is not conviction. Repentance is not remorse or sorrow. Many a person has been brought to a place of remorse. They, they are really sorry about their sin or probably more the consequences of their sin, what their sin has done in their own lives, and maybe in the lives of others. Judas Iscariot was like that. The Bible says that he repented himself. It wasn't true evangelical repentance turning from his sin. No, Judas Iscariot was remorseful. Judas Iscariot was sorrowful because of what he had done, betraying the Lord, selling him for a meager 30 pieces of silver, and then realizing what he had done and what was going to happen, and the Lord was going to be taken and probably crucified. And Judas was sorry, he was remorseful, but his sorrow was not conversion and repentance. And it's not resolutions. Usually at the beginning of a year, people make resolutions, and it's not long before they break them. Maybe you made resolutions this year, and you've broken them already, and you're only halfway through the month of February. That's not what repentance is. So what is repentance? It is a complete change of mind and heart. It's turning away from sin unto God. Our shorter catechism in the question 87 asks, what is repentance unto life? And it gives a lovely summary of what repentance is. Here's the answer. Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin, an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin 
turn from it unto God with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. Evangelical repentance is an about turn. Turning right around. And this can't be done except by God's power. Nobody can turn from their sin in their own power and strength. It's impossible for a man of himself to to escape. It must be that someone stretches forth a hand and draws him out of his sin. That's where Christ comes in. My friends, I want you to know tonight there is no salvation, no salvation without repentance. You cannot be saved. You cannot go to heaven unless you repent of your sin. Some folk reckon that they can be saved without turning from their sin. But here's what the Bible says. It's an old message again because it goes right back to the evangelical prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 55 and verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Where does mercy come in? Where does pardon come in? When a man forsakes his way. And that's his way of sin. So sin must be forsaken. Some people say, well, preacher, it hasn't hit me yet. What hasn't hit you? Are you looking for a blinding light out of heaven? It only happened to one man that I read about in the Bible. And that was Saul of Tarsus, a very unique conversion indeed. Or are you looking for some kind of sensation to be running down the back of your spine? The Bible doesn't talk about that kind of thing. Because repentance is not feelings. It's not emotions. Repentance is a turning. A turning from sin. Oh, the necessity of repentance. Then we have the authority here. Because it says God commandeth. This message comes from the eternal, omnipotent God. You will notice that God doesn't suggest that you repent. Or he doesn't advise that you repent. He doesn't even plead in this passage for you to repent. He commandeth all men to repent. And that's authority. The military officer gives the command. He gives the command with authority and he expects obedience and so does God. This command does not come from a mere man or or some human source but it is stamped with divine authority. It comes from the Creator, the Almighty, the Judge of all men who is all-powerful. It is God that man has sinned against. It is God that man has offended. And it is God to whom man must repent. The preacher calls people to repentance. But you see, we're just the instrument or the signpost. We're just the, the vehicle, if you like, that God uses to call people to repentance. But it's God himself who delivers you from your sin. And it is God that must bring you to that place where you turn from your sin. You must repent, not because I say so, or any preacher, but because Jehovah demands it. God commandeth. And then you'll notice the universality 
All men, everywhere, all men are commanded to repent of sin. doesn't matter what class or rank of society you come from, from the beggar in the street to the sovereign upon the throne must repent if it is to be well with their soul for eternity. doesn't matter what condition you're in. doesn't matter what color of skin covers your body. doesn't matter what creed you adhere to or what nationality you are or what religion you are or what age you are. All men. That's self-explanatory, isn't it? All men. And you'll notice the word everywhere. All men everywhere. Every land, every country, every island, every nation, every people, every kindred, every tongue. The message is both for the Jews and the Gentiles as we know. A few chapters on in the book of Acts in chapter 20 as the apostle is taking his leave and he's speaking to the, the elders of Ephesus that he's gathered together before he begins a journey in a relatively short time and a few years would lead to his death where he would be martyred for his faith. As he gathers these people together, he speaks about his ministry and the time that he was among them. And I'm just going to read with you two verses, verses 20 and 21. He says, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I told you about the two pillars of the gospel, repentance and faith. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> whether they were Jews or Gentiles. Not, that means everyone. Back then, we know that the gospel came first to the Jews, but it broadened out. It was also to the Gentiles. The Gentile people are all those that are non-Jews. So it's for everyone in the world. It's addressed to everyone, both the Jews and Gentiles alike, to those that might have a claim as Jews and to those that have none. Since everywhere men are sending the message of repentance will never lack an audience. And it means you tonight. If you have not repented of your sin, you're included here in the all men, everywhere. God commands you to repent. And then you notice the solemnity of this command. Look at our text in verse 31. We're brought here to the judgment day. God now commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. It is given in the light of the great judgment day, consideration of the awful judgment to come and, and the great judge sitting there upon his eternal throne should cause men to repent and to turn to God. God hath appointed a day. Just those few words are very solemn. There's a day appointed by God. One day, this world is going to cease to be. The Lord will send forth his angels to summon all men to the judgment bar. Christ will sit upon his throne of glory, the great white throne. 
and the judgment will begin. And we can't possibly imagine how terrible and fearful this day is going to be. I'm always reminded of that little verse that says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And there on the great judgment day, men who die in their sin are going to fall into the hands of the living God. This is a very sobering and serious event. John was brought, as you know, to see the great white throne of judgment set up in Revelation chapter 20. And the Lord Jesus sitting there in dazzling splendor upon that throne. And how all men were now summoned to stand before the Lord. The sea gave up the dead. The earth gave up the dead. Small and great. All coming to stand before Christ on the judgment day. What a solemn occasion it's going to be. And what John saw, and you read it for yourself, should cause you and I to tremble. God commands us to repent because of this terrible occasion that is yet to be the judgment day. It will be a day of great solemnity. We said here in verse 31, we have the solemnity of this command that's given in the light of the judgment day. A very solemn moment. It's not only a day of solemnity, it's a day of separation. When men are going to be separated, the one from the other forever, the good and the bad, the just and the unjust, the saved and the unsaved, the sheep and the goats, whatever way you want to put it. All the converted, separated from the unconverted. A day of separation, eternal separation. Not only a day of solemnity and a day of separation, but it's a day of sentencing. And you read that passage of Scripture where the Lord speaks about His coming again. And He tells the story of the sheep and the goats, the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left hand, and how that they're separated the one from the other. You remember what He says? Oh, to those on the right hand, Come ye, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But to those on the left hand, you recall the solemn words of Christ, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angel. A day of separation, this judgment day, and a day of, of sentencing, when men are sentenced forevermore. One day all who fail to turn from sin to Christ will be judged, and they'll be sentenced and eternally thrust out into a Christless hell the solemnity of the day. And then finally, we have the urgency. And I want you to underscore the word now. God now commandeth all men everywhere to repent in light of the judgment day. God wants you to repent now. While you have breath in your body, while you have opportunity to repent, while God's mercy is offered to you, it will not always be an offer. While you still are living in the day of grace, the day of grace is not going to last forever. So many things could happen to prevent you coming to Christ in later life. Death is sudden. Eternity is sure. Time is short. Tomorrow is uncertain. God says repent now, right now. I want you to see that. Some people foolishly put it off. They say, I'll repent on my deathbed. You're not guaranteed a deathbed. You're not even guaranteed one second of tomorrow. In fact, you're not even guaranteed one second in time any day. Right now, you're not guaranteed the next breath that you take. 
Oh, my friends, do not wait to seek the Lord. Those who wait to repent at the 11th hour, they often die at 10.30. The great American evangelist, Billy Sunday, speaking about deathbed repentance, this is what he said. And there is such a thing as people being saved in the 11th hour. It has happened. I believe that. The dying thief is the one example that the Bible gives. But it's not a very common thing. Not true repentance. And this is what Billy Sunday said. And I think he put it very well. Deathbed repentance is burning the candle of your life in the service of the devil, then blowing the smoke into the face of God. I hope you understand what he's saying there. You think that you can burn the candle of your life in the world and in sin and live for the devil and the things of this life, and then somehow or other, just in the last moment, turn to God. That's just like blowing the smoke on his face. You be very careful if you're saying in your mind, I'll wait to some future time, I'll wait to my deathbed. It might never come. A man of 93 years of age in hospital was asked to seek Christ and become a Christian. No, he said, I'm not ready yet. Not ready at the age of 93. The next morning, his bed was empty. He had died. Not ready yet was his usual answer for many years when he was asked to receive Christ as his Savior. And it had become a habit. And then it became a fixed principle with him. Every time he was asked to seek the Lord and urged upon to be saved, not ready yet. What about you? God's time is always in the present. Now. I'm not ready yet. God says now. I want to clean up my life first. God says now. I will leave it for a few years. God says now. He feels perchance that all is well. And every fear is calmed. He lives. He dies. He wakes in hell, not only doomed, but damned. God now commandeth all men everywhere to repent because of the judgment day. And that includes you if you're not saved. What are you going to do? May you seek Christ tonight. May you come in repentance and faith to him. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this great sermon that the Apostle preached all those years ago. A message that has never gone out of date. A message that was for the Old Testament, the New Testament, all through the years of church history and for today. God still commands men to repent of their sin. And he commands that they do it now. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed some future date. Lord, I pray that you will urge upon the hearts of sinners the necessity of repentance and the need to seek the Lord now. Oh, may they feel the urgency in their heart of seeking Christ. Don't let them go on in their sin. We pray that you'll turn them around in evangelical repentance. So bless your word. Use it for your glory, to the saving of souls, for Christ's sake.
Amen. I hear thy welcome voice that calls me, Lord, to thee for cleansing in thy precious blood that flowed in Calvary. I wonder, have you heard the voice of God? God's spoken to you in this meeting tonight. You need to turn from your sin. I am coming, Lord, coming now to thee. Wash me, cleanse me in the blood that flowed in Calvary. May that be your response tonight. I'm coming. Coming, Lord, coming now. May you get saved for Jesus' sake. Start to sing. to the place where they will cry to God for mercy. Wash me, cleanse me in the blood that flowed in Calvary. Lord, save the lost. Separate us with your blessing. Let your word live on for Jesus' sake. Amen and amen. <laughs>